This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Not going to get them. Guys, listen to this. I just, I just looked at Wyatt Langford's um, stats for, for just this year. He went all the way from rookie ball to triple A. And in triple A, he batted 368. I mean, I, I'm not totally stunned because I remember we talked about this a lot on the episode we did previewing the draft. And one thing Nick kept hammering with Langford because at the time it looked like there was a decent shot it was going to be him was he was definitely the high floor safe pick of the three. He was, he was, like, he doesn't have the ceiling of the other two, but that floor is super high. Yeah. And those kind of guys tend to shoot through farm systems. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm still, I still think. I still think, and this might be me being biased here, but I still think Skeens is going to be the best one out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, like I said, I think Skeens was 100% the right pick because you're not going to get that guy. It's worth the gamble. Even if Skeens blows up and doesn't pan out, it was still the right pick because it was the only shot you had at getting not not just the top of the rotation arm, but like a potential like generational guy. Yeah. Well, when like- they compared him, him to Osberg, I mean, you have to pick the guy. Yeah. Like, he yeah, legitimately may, even if he's only here for his seven years and bolts and free agency, he legitimately might be the best pitcher in franchise history. And it's like, I mean, you know, the Garrett Cole, like, I think we do that over again if we get the opportunity, you know, even yeah. though. I mean, it, you didn't necessarily get what you wanted out of Cole, but ultimately the guy helped you get to the postseason three times. Yeah, exactly. And the third, the third year of those three, you were the best team in baseball. And if Jake Arrieta doesn't go on an insane run, you probably win the World Series, and Garrett Cole probably wins the Cy Young in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also, let's not let's let's not forget that he completely sh- shit the bed and threw the worst pitch in the world against Kyle Schwarber. So. I, yeah, I get that, but like it didn't matter if the Cubs scored one run, that game was over. Was, yeah, there's no chance the, when the, the match way Arietta was there. pitching. You had to get that. You had to have it the game. Wasn't Arietta on the juice though? Let's be real. That was always the, the, the speculation. Yeah. That that, that was, game had one of my favorite coaching strategies in the history of sports when Hurdle had uh, Watson plunk Arietta on purpose in like the seventh inning to try and get Arietta ejected. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was great. That, game, that caused the, the water Pirates, ball. Those weren't even the ones who the ball right? the Pirates hit him and then the Pirates proceeded to storm the field. Like they were doing anything <laughs> to try and get Arietta thrown out, and Arietta didn't take the bait. It was incredible. That was just like, that was just textbook. Like, that's why pitching is so frustrating to deal with when it it's on. Because it's like, you're just frustrated. Like, you could tell that everything was pent up. Like, they had the season they had, and this is what they got to fucking deal with. Yep. Man, I'll tell you what, when he plunked, when he plunked Arietta, because Arietta, what, he he hit two or three of our guys that night, too. So I, am, I don't I know Arietta was because he pitched me a lot. I'm pretty sure he hit a couple guys. I think he hit Russell Wilson. Or not Russell Wilson. <laughs> Russell Martin. <laughs> but um but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That, that literally I even knew we were gonna lose. That made my night. I was like, okay, we hit him. Yeah. That game. 
you know, the, the, the 15 game and the 13 game, you both look back on, even though the 15 game is like probably the most frustrating game, you know, in the last 20 years in, in Pirates baseball, it's like, it's still like, there are some dubs for the, the 14 game. It was just like, I mean, that was depressing. That yeah, was I mean, that, game. that 15 game. I still think it was, I forget it was fifth or sixth inning when Marte came with the bases loaded and went out and hit that piss missile. It Addison Russell. He gets any air on that ball whatsoever. I'd love to know where that game goes because worst case scenario, it's a bases clearing double. I was to say it was bases and, loaded, right? And yeah, like one out. If he had any air on that, it legitimately may have been a grand slam. And like I said, worst case scenario, that thing's off getting to the bullpen wall or the my bullpen soul, fence, excuse me, and I'm clearing the bases. My soul left left my body when he caught that. Yeah, because right off the bat, I thought it was a home run, a grand slam. And the fact that Addison Russell's a garbage human being just like made it even worse. <laughs> Tattoos and uh, yeah, beating up women and, up. and beating up his way. Yeah, well, yep. Uh, I feel like that's a trend in baseball right now. Seems to be. Yeah, and uh, some other stuff going on in Tampa Bay. Let's not talk about that because I have a uh, Wander Franco at a ninety-nine auto of his Bowman and now it's worth dog shit. So I'm yeah. Gonna- how does that affect the card market when a player fucks up like that? Is it just like kills that it? Card, that card was worth about $1,200. It's probably worth $10 now. Maybe. What if Hannes Wagner was just a piece of shit and we have no idea. I mean, he but- probably was cause most people were back then, but it just doesn't matter. <laughs> card yeah, still he wasn't a pedophile. I'm sure. He wasn't a pedophile though. Yeah. Known one. Pedophile is, for some reason, well, not for some reason, but pedophile is way worse than almost anything. Besides, like, and killing somebody. I had, like, multiple pieces of memorabilia autographed by Felipe that I literally have just since thrown away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that th- hey, he's about to be on the, the roster here soon. Yeah, throw him in the penal league. What roster? <laughs> he's he's going to join the Pirate. I mean, oh, well, gonna, yeah, yeah. you're going to cut him eventually. I mean, of course, but I'm just saying, like, he's about to get out soon. I guess that's how that works. Yeah. So you, once you get out, I didn't realize that. I thought he was on the roster. Years. Yeah. He's about to be out, I think, next year or something. Hey, look, I'm Googling it. Damn. Um, watch, yeah. watch Ben Sherrington. He was allowed to be released in uh, September of 23, so he might already be out roaming the streets. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he lost his appeal. Hold on. There's this guy, Deshaun Watson, in Cleveland that they were able to forgive rather quickly. I can see Ben Sherrington saying, hey, Felipe is going to help us win. He's on the rotation next year. <laughs> I mean, how? Yeah. He signed Wander Franco to a 10-year deal. I mean, at this point, you know, we're already uh, – what else can we do? What I mean, we have we, we have G1 Bay literally on the team. True. And for a little bit there, I mean – According to this, it says he will be released in September 2023, so he might already be out roaming the streets somewhere. I think that's just a terrible way to say it. You're out roaming the street. <laughs> Hopefully, this it does not go on the. Uh, no, 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 no. Nothing, I went uh, back to Venezuela and changed his name again. Yeah, I mean, shit. It, God, it, that was always so sketchy to begin with, and then looking back on it, you're like, oh, this is probably why you're changing your name, you freak. Honestly, this is the main reason why I just don't like Neil Huntington, because he could have got rid of him a year prior. And I know it's not Neil Huntington's fault, but that just 
that just sets like a I don't know. I just don't like him because of it. Well, we have you know. talked about this a bunch. I am 100% convinced it was known in baseball circles something was up with him. Yeah. Was Based on everything that Nick and I heard leading up to that deadline in 2019, they were at the 11th hour of him going to the – like the Dodgers had pulled guys out of the game in A AA and AAA. It was signed, sealed, delivered. God, Nick's at the 11th hour. I am convinced somebody caught wind of something because it was literally like six weeks later that everything went down. Maybe not even that long. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they like teams have to do their due diligence before they make a trade. They got to like do some background checks and I don't know, do as much as you know, much as they can to make sure that they're not getting screwed over. Yes, because it was oh shit, Kybert Ruiz was coming. It was either Gonsolin or May, I forget, because that night it was like five minutes before the first pitch, either double A, triple A. Ruiz got scratched. No, it was Josiah Gray. That's right. Josiah Gray got scratched. DJ Peters got scratched, and there was another guy who got, I forget who the other one was. Not like like single A who got scratched because it was those four were coming for him, and at the last second, it got nixed. And I'm just I'm convinced you know the Rodgers did their last background check. They found. Something they were alert, like something came up. You know what's crazy? I think if that trade gets made, Neil Huntington is still the GM. Probably. Do they win though? Yeah, you know, like looking at it now, like if Dustin, I, mean, I don't think he gets fired two, after the 2019 season. Like if Gavin, he, like Gavin Lux, completely got like became toxic and Felipe. Because remember, there was the shit in the club. Kyle Crick broke his hand punching Felipe in the oh, face. Yeah. Like, it, it was fucked. That's why that's I kind of second, should have got an extension. Exactly. I was going to say that's the second probably leading conspiracy on our podcast, and we're not a conspiracy podcast. But, <laughs> that he had to know, like the Dodgers. Yeah. Like, but I, I don't know. It's like, you know, even if they make that trade, like even if Felipe is a Dodger, like I just don't know if – Knowing uh, the Dodgers, he probably would have gotten away with it. Well, maybe – but even so, like, do the Pirates, if they receive Gavin Lux and Josiah Gray and, and Dustin, or maybe just Dustin May and, and Kyber Ruiz or whatever it would have been, like, do they even, like, I don't know. Are they winning right now? Like, would they? It's different that looks. Do they yeah. do get Ruiz? They don't draft Henry Davis. Mm-hmm. You don't trade for Andy Rodriguez. Like, mm-hmm. that changes a lot. I mean, I am more confident in Andy Rodriguez than I am Henry Davis. I mean, as a player, just not as a catcher, but mm-hmm. as a player. As a catcher, yes. As a hitter, absolutely not for me. You're saying Kiebert over Henry, Marty, or? No, I thought it was Andy. Oh, Andy. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Batting with the bat, I still think Henry's bat's going to be much better. I've yeah. always been worried about Andy's bat. Yeah, which is fine. But if Andy bats with the, I don't know, 720 OPS, you know, his whole career, then that's a successful catcher if he, if he can, oh, yeah. you know. And one thing I've always said when people talk about him and, and Davis moving positions, I've always said for them to reach that prospect value, it's easier to move Davis than move Rodriguez because with Rodriguez's offensive ceiling, most likely at any position other than catcher or shortstop, there's not a lot of value there. Maybe second base, but yeah, I get. Yeah, you I get. know what I'm saying? Like he, if you're gonna if for, to be a plus player with what his offense will likely be, you've got to do it while playing plus defense at a position where defense is very valued. 
I still think Amy Rodriguez can be a, like I said, he can be like a 250, 260 hitter, maybe 10 to 15 home runs. I mean, that's going to be a much better hitter than what we saw this year. I mean, yeah, there's no way he's majors. Yeah. There's no way he, he has a 612 OPS as well. No, he didn't even turn 23 until the end of May and only has 200 major league plate appearances. He'll be, he'll be much better than he was. It's just, Henry's got the potential to be an elite hitter regardless of position, and that's why you move that guy around. What do you, yeah. What do you think of? I know we're not, we haven't even started yet, but what do you think of him playing first base? I, I don't, I don't like it. Dude, Davis. Yeah. No, I don't like it either because you're wasting his arm. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I was going to say, and I'll cut this part out here. Uh, how do you guys feel about starting it when Marty said, we've talked about it on here a bunch? But the Dodgers had to know something. Bleep out any Felipe. Bleep out any of that. Just to start with more of a, a fun hypothetical. We can start it now separately if you guys want. But uh, I don't know if it'd be the worst thing in the world to kind of start it naturally like that. It doesn't matter to me. Throw people for a loop. Get them wondering what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Um, and we'll bridge it. I say we go. I say we go crazy and we just talk about all our conspiracy theories. <laughs> we can get there. Uh, we can get there at least. Get me started on the reasons why I truly believe Jerry Sandusky didn't get the Virginia head coaching job. Uh, okay, okay. Now let's not talk about it. <laughs> well, that's just where we're going to start here, Cody. Good. Um, what an absolute stain on that university. Oh. Well, you know, but honestly, like, the brand is so traditional and clean. And I'm not just saying this to, to you know, suck you off here, Marty, because I know. Uh, They've tried to rebrand super hard, but I think it does. The brand power does carry a little bit more. You know, that's cons- that uh that whole scandal was obviously a huge stain. I mean, did, you know, hey Marty, you would know this. Did they tear down that locker room? No, it's still there. Gosh, damn! I I mean, tear I, that shit down. I don't, it's not really used, but because it was part of the lash building, they couldn't really like. Just get rid of it. Block it off or something. Well, the only it was only the coaches ever used it, so it was very easy to get to the point where like it's not used anymore, and the coaches just kind of got their got new areas. But because it was part of the actual lash building, they couldn't just like completely like flatten it. Oh god, I would never go in there. I don't know. I would just. Yeah. No. Like I said, I know it's not. I don't think it's really used at all anymore. All right, let's get this started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I work in the morning. Yeah. All righty. Um, well, yeah, I guess we started it pretty naturally, so I'll probably just carry it into kind of uh, what would have been the next point if we didn't go Jerry Sandusky there. But, um, yeah, this is the 2023 Rum Under Radio special. Uh, to recap the season, we're going to review the 2023 year for the Pirates. Season had all kinds of twists and turns, ups and downs. We saw guys come, guys go. And, um, you know, we saw some winning and losing here. We got Cody Duncan back on the podcast tonight to, to break it all down. Marty Leap, Trey Yannity back with you for this, uh, for this special. Excited for it. We're going to talk all about what is, uh, you know, what has just unfolded over the last few months. Um, you know, what this 2023 season means for the future of this franchise and where, you know, everything stands with this regime, with what has been, uh, you know, a long rebuild and what things look like heading into the off season. And we will, of course, uh, you know, have our off season special as well in the coming weeks. But uh, Marty Cody, excited to, to kind of break it all down with you guys and, and talk about what has gone on here with another chapter of Pirates baseball. Um, 
you know, we're we're gonna break it down by month. I think you know, really just kind of by uh, by moment here. But but to start, guys, I mean, there is no better time of the year. We got playoff baseball going on right now. Um, you know, crazy comeback for the Braves last night, and uh, I saw tweets from the both of you that uh, made me smile a little bit. Um, you know, standing up for those Phillies here, but it's gonna be a fun rest of the way here. What are you guys thoughts so far on these uh, on these playoffs? Yeah, first off, kick off the show. Um, anyone who's listening, I'm sure you picked up by now. Nick is not with us tonight. Uh, send my condolences to Nick and his family. His uncle Mike, who I have met more than once, was an awesome guy. Has passed away, so uh, definitely keep Nick and his family in your thoughts and prayers and such at the moment because it, it, it's a tough time. He was a great guy, but um, yeah, for the postseason, it should be fun. Um, you know, as people have heard me say on here before, if I wasn't a fan of the Pirates, I would be a fan of the Baltimore Orioles. I have no real rhyme or reason for it. And in true fashion of a team that I am or would be a fan of, they just went ahead and got their teeth kicked in in three games by the Texas Rangers. Um, but yeah, no, I think the National League, Arizona is really intriguing. They've got some great pitching, obviously. It's gotten them this far. They have the Dodgers on the ropes. I'd be curious to see if they can finish that off. Um, the Braves are still the Braves. They, they showed that last night um, between the eighth inning offensive rally and then just that incredible play by Michael Harris in the ninth. But, uh, yeah, I mean, postseason baseball is hard to beat. It's some of the best. It's a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun so far. I expect it to continue to be a lot of fun, especially since we're most likely going to get an ALCS of the Astros and the Rangers, two teams that don't particularly like each other. So that should be a lot of fun as well. But, uh, yeah, postseason baseball is great. Even when the Pirates aren't in it, it's still an absolute blast. Um, you know, this time of year, getting that – postseason baseball overlapping with football overlapping with hockey starting is just just a majestic time of the year on the sports calendar and i love everything about it so it's just one of those times of the year you just kind of soak it all in and enjoy yeah i definitely agree with marty there it's it's you know football season now it's playoff season for baseball um so it's it's a great time of the year i just wish the pirates were actually in postseason play but I still am enjoying the games. Uh, this is going to be definitely an unpopular opinion, but I'm a big Astros uh, fan for this playoffs just because I have a one-of-one one rookie card of Jordan Alvarez, so I need him to continue to be amazing, which he is. I think he's batting like 500 in this playoffs. So not really a huge fan of the team, I guess, but more so of an individual player of Alvarez, so I'm really hoping he continues to, to play really well. And plus I'm a – you know, I just really like the guy. I think he's a great player. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a fun it's been a fun playoff um, postseason so far. I I'm not I'm pretty happy that the Dodgers are losing. Um, that's always satisfying. And then hopefully the Braves lose because you know the no Pirate fan should ever be a Braves fan ever. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. And um, other than that, I can't wait for the season to be officially over. I love it, man. I, you know, I, I really couldn't agree more with all of that. Um, I've made it extremely known on here, and I'm going to bleep it out every time anybody said it. Cody, Marty, myself, um, really hate that franchise in uh, in Atlanta. But that's uh, that's another story for another day. Cody, it's good to have you back, man. I think it's been a couple months since we had you on. How you doing? I know uh, you got some big stuff coming up here, but uh, you doing all right, man? Yeah, I'm doing great. Obviously, some uh, life changes coming up. I obviously don't want to speak on it right here, right now, but um, I'm excited for everything, and I'm definitely excited for the Pirates offseason, too. I mean, you got Ben Sherrington saying things that he's never said before, so hopefully he lives up to that. Um, you know, if I'm Marty, I wouldn't trust him because we know how Marty feels about Ben Sherrington, but 
for me, I, I, I at least will believe them until, until I can't believe them. So we'll see. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we see some, some nice uh, additions to this team during the off season. Really hope that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be an interesting off season to say the least could go one way or the other. Um, and we are going to preview all of that coming up here soon, but um now it's getting to 2023 and you said it, Marty condolences to, to Nick, our other co-host here. Um, you know, hope he's doing well. Hope everybody's doing well over there and excited to have him back here soon. Um, and guys, as we get into it, please check us out as always on rumbunder.com articles, breaking down uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight, the 2023 season, looking ahead into this off season into 2024, looking into the future with coverage, of course, in the minor leagues as well. And follow us on Twitter at rumbunter. Um, and I know, you know, we love being active on our on our Rumbunter Twitter. Uh, Cody is extremely active on Twitter as well. And you said something cool on Twitter, Cody. You know, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Um, any conversation you get to have about the Pirates is uh, is a good one. And I thought that was a cool tweet. Um, we're we're gonna have to break down the season, guys. And I think any way you look at it, good, bad, ugly, you know, whatever it was, um, this was a you know some would say maybe a pivotal year for the Pirates. And we talked about it around this deadline. I think you look into that July, August of next year, and you know, you know, you have your answer on what this rebuild is, what this regime is. But 2023 was a year that, um, you know, you really opened that box a little bit and you kind of looked inside and, and saw what, uh, you know, what we've heard, what we've been, um, you know, preached to for, for the last few years here. To start it out, guys, let's talk about the beginning. Uh where the Pirates looked like they, they might be a contender this season. Um, you know, you get to a high mark of, what was it, 20 and 8, I believe, 12 games over, 500. Um, you're in D.C., you're feeling great. You, you dominate a doubleheader. And, uh, and then I think from that point on, you know, things kind of took a turn. But let's talk about the good there to start the season, gentlemen. What do you think was the, the key factor in fueling the Pirates' hot start and um, – you know, just kind of kind of reflect on what that time was like to, to have the first winning month since, I believe, 2019. Well, I think um, I think the main reason why they were so successful in April was one, not only the pitching was healthy. We had some guys like, um, you know, Vince Velasquez pitching really well and, you know, Rich Hill was doing OK and that. But the big thing that I noticed was this, they were playing small ball and they were successful at it. You know, sack flies, steals, bunts. They were putting actual bunts in play. Like they were doing everything that everything right that month, and then it just went away. Um, so I think that was the main reason why they were so successful because they don't have the, the the level of talent that the Braves and the Dodgers have. So they needed to play like that, and they were. And then on top of that, you had you know Brian Reynolds also playing out of his mind that month, so that helped. And then on top, you know, and then you have O'Neill Cruz, at least for, you know, four or five games, which probably helped a little bit, too. So there was a few reasons um, why they were they were playing really well that month. But I think it was kind of smoke and mirrors. Um, and that kind of, you know, showed. I mean, listen, the, the biggest thing is Austin Hedges was playing the majority of those games. So, you you know, that the odds are that they were going to eventually start going on a downhill. And obviously that showed in May and June. Hey, now, now be careful talking about Austin Hedges. He might go to a podcast somewhere and complain that you're being mean to him. But uh, no, in all seriousness, I, the biggest thing, and you mentioned it, Cody was the pitching. They, they were seventh in major league baseball in ERA in April at three fifty five. More importantly, 
Their starting pitching pitched 160 innings in April, which was second in all of baseball behind just the Minnesota Twins. So it's not just that they were pitching well, it's that their starting pitching was pitching well. And I, I, it's the oldest saying in the book, you're only as good as your next day starting pitcher. And it's, it's an old time saying, but it is 100% accurate. And that's how the Pirates were in April. Their starting pitching was really good. Their bullpen was really good. Um, and that's going to win you a lot of baseball games. And everything else you mentioned was right. They were moving runners. They were getting guys in that small ball. They're using their speed. They're extremely aggressive on the bases. But it's pitching. You're go- I don't care who you are. Every team in baseball is going to go as far as their pitching will take them. And in April, the Pirate pitching was tremendous. And that's why they were 20-8. and eight. And once you hit May and into June, you started to get injuries. You had guys who were in their first full major league season and they looked like it. They were starting to hit walls. They were starting to get tired. And as all that added up, the pitching started to struggle and the team went downhill. But to me, the biggest key in April was the pitching. Like I said, seventh in baseball and team ERA in April, second in baseball and innings pitched from their starters. That, that was the key. That was the key that first month of the season. It was huge. Um, you know, and it was, it's kind of interesting to look at that Colorado series early on, um, it, you know, at Coors Field there. Vince Velasquez had a shaky start in his game. I think it was game two, might have been game three. Um, but, you know, it was like, well, where's where's Luis Ortiz? Can we, can we see this guy now? Can we give him the shot? You know, can we move Vince? And, you know, it ultimately uh, turned around for Vince. And then that injury was crucial for the Pirates. Several injuries to that staff early on, um, obviously weighed extremely heavily on the season. But, um, gentlemen, and, and you said it there, Cody, I mean, just a few games of O'Neill Cruz. It was that Sunday game against the Chicago White Sox at home. I think it was the second home series. You know, that might have been the home opening series. I think you were at game one, Marty. Um, but, uh, you know, just... It, uh, it, was, it was the first home series the, of the season. Game yeah. one was the home opener on Friday, and then that was on Easter Sunday, whenever he... That's right. He started yeah. taking out the plate, and the Pirates continued their long-timing tradition of having benches clearing brawls on Easter Sunday. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic, and it was good to, you know, have it at home this year. Um, but, you know, that moment, I think everybody knew it at the time, and, you know, there's always that little period of, well, what is the severity of this injury? You know, what's it going to mean timeline-wise? Where's he at? You know, and, and I think it was pretty obvious um, – quickly that that it was a pretty major injury and, and we were going to miss O'Neill for a good portion of the season. And um, I, I'm, you know, I don't think it was out of the, the realm of possibility that he would have come back if there's a situation where they're contending, if they're, you know, fighting, maybe you, you could have figured something out there. But I think for the most part at that point, we knew it was going to be probably a season ending injury. How much do you think that that meant for this season in the long run? Looking at it with some hindsight now at the time, it's like, well, you're losing your superstar. You're losing a key piece of this lineup. How much did that mean in the long run to you, gentlemen? It meant a lot just because, I mean, if you look at who was playing at shortstop all year, it was, you know, they probably really hurt the team, at least offensively. And, I mean, yeah, did G1 did Bay play shortstop at all? I'm sure he played a few times. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't yeah. much. There was a, a little bit early in, like, April and May, but they, they quickly realized that wasn't a good idea. Yeah, and then you had, you know, Rodolfo Castro play the majority of shortstop before he got traded. He was a disaster. You have Malika Williams. I mean, defensively, he was okay, but offensively, I'm pretty sure Marty could out hit him, um, you know, and I could probably out hit him because that's how bad he was playing. And, 
you know, Leover Piguero, he was he had some spurts of, you know, playing pretty well. Um, and defensively he was okay, but it just wasn't enough of what O'Neill Cruz could have gave this team. And then, you know, the Chris Owings, um, you know, month of disaster, we got to see him play. Um, so it was just, it was just an, it was terrible. We, we needed O'Neill Cruz on this team. It would have been a massive difference. Um, do I think, it, you know, they finished 10 games under 500. Do I think they, they would have been a 500 team? No, but he's definitely worth five, six games in my opinion. Um, on this team. So, well, they, they might've finished 500 if with that, with O'Neill Cruz, to be honest with you. Uh, so I think he is, you know, it was a massive, uh, a massive, um, uh, obviously a massive miss with uh, him not on the team. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, the team exceeded my expectations this year. Um, I think I've predicted, I want to say 73 wins. I think it was preseason. They all did that by three. Um, and that was what I expect them to do with Cruz. I think I think if Cruz plays, I'm with you. I don't know if they get to 500, but I think they definitely have at least two or three more wins. Um, I, I do think the injuries in general really hurt this club. I mean, it, let's say between Cruz, Vince Velasquez, and JT Brubaker, even if two of those three don't get lost for the year, I think you probably. I don't think they're in the postseason, but I think they're a 500 club. I think they could have. I think they could have won five or six more games that they would have needed to not have a losing record if 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 two of those three guys are healthy. And that goes without even mentioning, you know, Mike Burrows and some of the other players who were were lost or injured. But um, yeah, the, to me though, the cruise thing, and I said it at the time, and I'll continue to say it. The most worrisome thing to me as a Pirates fan with O'Neill Cruz is losing that season development. This was going to be a very important year for him de developmental. And, you know, it was only, what, 10, 11 games he played in whatever it was. But you could see steps being taken. He was a lot more patient at the plate. He was chasing a lot less. Um, his walk rate was way up. His strikeout rate was down. And those were those were trends that were continuing what he had done in his final 100 to 200 or so plate appearances last year. So to me, that that's what hurt the most with the Cruz injury, not even necessarily the impact on the team. Because if O'Neill Cruz plays 162 games this year, this team's still not going to the postseason. Um, they would have had a couple extra wins. But to me, what hurts most is developmentally. And even you look ahead the next year, you have Cruz. Obviously, he's going to be penciled in as an important player on your team. You know, maybe the most important player on your team because nobody on this team has a higher ceiling than him. But when they go to Miami on March 28th, it's going to be almost a full calendar year since he's played a major league baseball game. And that that's, that's a lot that that's a lot to overcome. I was really hoping he was going to be able to get a bat somewhere this year in the fall or in the winter. I don't know if that's going to happen. It seems like he's still having issues with that ankle with playing the field and running bases, which is not good. Um, and that's one thing too. I've said repeatedly since he got hurt is we don't know what post-injury O'Neill Cruz is going to look like. And, you know, this kind of ties into something we talked about with Andy Rodriguez off-air before we started recording. But part of what makes O'Neill Cruz such a special, valuable player is the idea, the thought of him giving you that offensive production from the shortstop position. And let's say we get to the point where Cruz can hit, but he still can't. He, he can't move laterally well enough or whatever. And you've got to move him off shortstop and say he winds up a DH. 
that devalu that just drags his overall value down so much. So, I mean, I know this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but looking ahead to 2024, that might be my biggest question for this team is what does post-injury O'Neill Cruz look like? Because we don't know. We don't know. We've seen him take batting practice. The pop is still there. Um, go check out Greg Brown's Twitter. There's there's video of him just putting on an absolute show at Citizens Bank Park in batting practice in late September. The pop is there still. There's no doubt about it. But what, is that ankle going to hold up in the field and running the bases? That's a huge question that we still don't have an answer to. So that that's that's a big thing to watch with Cruz next year. And again, just developmentally. He was always going to be a hitter with boomer bust potential, and it seemed like he was really trending towards boom, but he just lost an entire year's worth of at bats against major league pitchers, and and, and there there's no there, there's no replication for that. You can't there's there's nothing you can do to replicate facing major league pitching. So that that's that's something to watch with Cruz as well moving forward. Yeah, and I would have really liked to see him play in the Dominican Winter League, but it, I read a report um, that. Uh, well, I read an article that Bleacher Report um, posted today uh, basically saying he's out for 2023 and he won't be playing um, until spring training. So there any any hopes of him playing in the winter um, are definitely it's it's out of the possibility now. Yeah, it uh, you know, it's unfortunate and it's scary, too, at the same time here, Um you know, to, to think about what it's going to be with O'Neill Cruz and, uh, and what it could have been, maybe not just for the team, but uh, but but what he could have, you know, been as uh, as a player this year and how he could have developed for the team. Uh, but you know, we'll see what it looks like into spring training and uh, and it, I, I think that you, you said it, Marty. The, the the tweets you see, the uh, the videos you see of him still being able to put on a show, you still feel confident. You know, you still feel like this is your superstar. This is the guy that um, you know you build your franchise around and. It's been such a roller coaster ride his entire career, you know, through the weird motorcycle, whatever legal deal that uh, ultimately got resolved, um, you know, into a career that, that started out with a bang and now, you know, a missed season for O'Neill. But uh, that was definitely, um, you know, one of those headlines that uh, that you thought early on probably would significantly hurt this team. But they kept it rolling a little bit, guys. You know, they, they stayed uh, they got to that 20 and eight mark. They stayed hot. And, um, you know, then we saw the pitching staff, like you said, start to start to crumble a little bit. Obviously, the injury to Vince Velazquez. Um, but those two series, I think, are probably uh, the two series. I think it was immediately following D.C., Tampa Bay, in the midweek into Toronto, into, um, you know, that weekend. And I think those are the two series where, you know, it really starts to fall apart for this team. But, uh, you know, and I was going to say, guys, we could go down the uh, – the, the months here, um, you know, go month by month, whatever. But let's zoom out a little bit and let's talk about the season as a whole because we started to get there. And I think it's, um, you know, for as much losing that uh, that went on in the middle part of this season, I think, uh, you know, there's still a lot more that we were looking at context-wise with this team. We started to see call-ups as it went on down the stretch. Let's zoom out here, gentlemen. What was the best part? of 2023 as a whole because I you know I think at this point in the podcast we've highlighted uh you know the best stretch of the season and there's definitely negatives to address here but while we're on it what was your favorite part about this 2023 season where do you want to start uh, us off? oh you yeah. want Marty you want to go first yeah I'll go first it, it, to me some of this is the dad in me it, it, 
It was the return of Andrew McCutcheon. It wasn't just the return of Andrew McCutcheon. It was the return of Andrew McCutcheon, Andrew McCutcheon playing at a very high level. Um, w- when Kutch was here last, my youngest son was two. He, he obviously has no idea what Andrew McCutcheon was. And my oldest would have been nine. So, like, he got it, but not to an extent. So, a- Andrew McCutcheon coming back and just being there with my family on opening day when he got that hit and just what it meant to this city, to this fan base, to McCutcheon, to his family. Um, and like I said, it's not just the reunion with McCutcheon. It's the fact that he came back and played at an extremely high level. I mean, Trey, we were there together the day before he got his 2000th hit. Every time he came up to the plate, every person in that ballpark, phones out, recording that at bat, in case he got hit 2000. Um, it was... It was just a magical year. Obviously, it's unfortunate it cut short due to the Achilles issue, and we're going to have to wait till next year for him to get his 300 home runs. I mean, I fully expect him to be back with the Pirates next year. Um, I don't remember if it was on here or what, but it might have been, you know, my buddy John and I, who I John, I know you're listening, so here's your, your shout-out. You get every episode. Which I was going to say, we need to have John on this day. We do. Next next yeah, time he's in, know. next time he's in for a Saturday to watch football, we'll do an nice. after-talk episode. Let's, let's get him in here. But, um, no, um, it might have been him and I talking whenever it was. That you know, I think this is almost going to be like a Roger Clemens with the Astros kind of thing towards the end. We're just you keep coming back on a one year deal until both sides don't want it anymore. But just to have him back because of what he has meant. I mean, I I have always said to me he's on the Mount Rushmore, the Pittsburgh Pirates, not just because of what he's done on the field, but more importantly because of what he meant off the field and in the clubhouse to this organization, to the city, to this fan base. Um, Again, having him back, having him perform at such a high level, it was so much fun. It was so cool. Um, to me, Andrew McCutcheon is always going to be the coolest dude in baseball. He always has been. He always will be. Nobody will ever be better than Kutch. And just to have that back was just so awesome because he, he he never should have been. I mean, obviously, it's a trade that worked out pretty damn well for the Pirates because of what they got in Brian Reynolds. And Reynolds is going to be an anchor for this organization for 10 years. But – he, he never should have worn another jersey other than the Pittsburgh Pirates. So to have him back in Pittsburgh, back in the black and gold, um, and hopefully over the course of next year, and if there's another year after that, solidifying his his place in in Cooperstown. Um, yeah, it was just it was so much fun. It was awesome. I loved every second of it, and I can't wait to do it with Kutch again next year. Yeah, and happy birthday to Kutch today, by the way. Yeah, man, that's you know, that's what what a moment. It's well said, Marty. And big shout out to Kutch. Happy birthday there. Cody, uh, your favorite moment. Well, I have two um I have two things combined in one. The Dilbinski um from his rookie year to this year. Um, you know, a lot of people hated on him all year and he went on he went through some spurts that were were pretty bad, but you know, from from his rookie year, his batting average went up twenty points. His, his on-base percentage went up, uh, you know, from 298 to 339. And then his slugging went up 40 points with his OPS almost at 800, uh, you know, and he hit 26 bombs on the year. I mean, he he is a guy that you can't give up on. And if he continues to slowly get better each and every year, the sky's the limits for him. He needs to get through these, these – um, these really bad, uh, you know, spurts where he's just goes over 30, you know, if he can do that and slowly get better and better each year, um, you know, I think he could be a, a very good player for this team, especially if they get to 
you know, if they get to the to being a competitive playoff team, I think he could be very useful and you know on this team. And then lastly, I think you know the breakout season of Key Brian Hayes is very important uh, for this development of this team um, and his you know for his confidence going into 2024. Um, you know, he played 124 games. He batted 271. He had over 300. Uh, he had 309 on base percentage with a 453 slug. You know, 762 on or uh, OPS. 15 home runs. I don't think a lot of people thought he would uh, um, get over 10 home runs, let alone get to 15 home runs. So that was really good to see. And then on top of that, you know, his amazing defense. It hasn't. You know, he. Almost guarantee if the balls hit the third base, it's going to be an automatic out. So, you know, I just really enjoyed seeing him, especially finish really well um, the last couple months um, of the season. It was it definitely has given me some confidence going into 2024 with those two guys. With like I said, Jack Sawinski continuing to develop into a uh, into an everyday player. Hopefully. Uh, um, not only can he be a slugger, but he was he was hitting a lot of singles as of you know towards the end of the season, which was nice to see. He was going opposite field, uh, you know, he was going with the pitch, so it was really nice to see, um, you know, because he wasn't doing that in the beginning of the year, so or even in the middle of the year. So it was good to see that, and I just hope that he continues to get better and better. And then I, if if Key Brian Hayes has the same year as he had uh, this year for the rest of his career. You'll, you'll take that with his defense. So that was good to see as well. So I'm really uh, excited with for those two for next year. Yeah, I mean, if you can get that out of key for the rest of his career, you're talking about, I mean, you know, this is was maybe the top silver lining of this season was the way that Key Brian Hayes, you know, looks solid. And then, you know, you deal with an injury and you come back and such a strong finish, um, such a strong second half. Love it. Love the Swinsky pick there as well. Um, you know, and you saw him kind of come into his own as well, you know, in the later months here. So, um, yeah, I love it. You know, you look ahead, you feel so confident about both of those guys in the next season. And to circle back a little bit uh, on McCutcheon there, Marty, I mean, it's you said it. The fact that he got here and, you know, it had the success that he had, you almost feel a little weird if you were to come back and, you know, it was a shell of what we saw the first go around. And, you know, it wasn't it, – it, it's almost like a superhero that – uh you know, it doesn't have his powers anymore, but that was not the case. Um, you know, he came back and, and, uh, you know, got that 2000 set and looked solid and helped this team win games. So, um, you know, you love it. And I think after this, uh, you know, if you get a Roger Clemens scenario, that's okay because he came back and he was successful in a Pirates uniform once again. So um, I'm going to go Johan Oviedo for mine. Um, you know, a guy that, uh, ends with a 431 ERA, but a guy that, um, you know, just battled and, you know, found so much success at points this season. A guy that you also feel confident about going into next season, into the future, a guy that can anchor this rotation. Um, and just, you know, to see him continue to show the personality and continue to, to, to wear his heart on his sleeve. Love Johan Oviedo. Love what he does for this organization. That's going to be, uh, we'll call it the top of the trolley for the whole season. This is the, uh, the highest trolley peak in the entire city here um, for the year. Let's zoom back in a little bit, gentlemen. Obviously, things fell off a cliff for this organization. Struggles, and you said it, Marty. I mean, we got to see, you know, a, a couple of really cool games there against the Mets. McCutcheon gets his 2000th hit in that Sunday finale there. But, uh, you know, that was in the midst of um, what would become quite the losing streak following that series. And, and struggles, obviously, before that as well that, 
put them out of position. What was the one thing that you guys point to during those stretches? Or maybe it's not one thing, but but what fueled the losing and, and you know, the struggles offensively that, that turned into, um, you know, struggles everywhere for this team following all the winning at the beginning there? I mean, I know a lot of people are going to point the offense over the summer, and the offense was atrocious. The fact that Andy Haynes, we are sitting here at 10.34 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, October the 10th, and Andy Haynes is still employed. It's just mind-boggling. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't be because it, it, Shelton and Charrington said throughout the season that Haynes will be back, and he probably will be. But um, as much as the offense struggled – to me, it was the pitching. They ran out of pitching. It was injuries. I mean, you know, you look at some of these young guys, you flash some really good stuff. Like, I think Dowry Murray is a great example of this. He started like a bat out of hell. He finished red hot, but he hit a wall in the summer. And you see that with young guys in their first full major league season. They hit that wall. Um so I think a combination of young guys hitting that wall with injuries really derailed this. I, I remember, God, I, I remember an episode we did in like May talking about starting pitching depth when the team was still like seven or eight over and pitching injuries were starting to pile up. And I remember sitting on here and saying, we probably, I remember Nick talking about Osvaldo Vito and me saying, we probably don't have to worry about Osvaldo Vito because if he's making multiple starts, this team's in trouble anyway. And like three weeks later, where were we? Osvaldo Vito taking the ball every five days. And like that's just kind of, and that's not a knock on Osvaldo Vito. He just, he is what he is, you know? Like, and I think that's where they found themselves. They had no starting pitching. I mean, hell, the last what? two, three months of the season, you basically had two legitimate starters. You were just throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what would stick. Um, Osvaldo Vito wasn't good. Luis Ortiz regressed immensely. Ruanzi Contreras, just what a disaster he was this year. Probably, the, in my opinion, without even much debate or any debate, Ruanzi Contreras was the most disappointing player in this entire organization this season. Um, you, you know, Quinn Priester was not good. Um, Bailey Falter was not good after being traded for like, and then you you're taking guys like Andre Jackson and putting them in positions. They're not suited for like, I think Jackson can be a perfectly fine reliever. He's not a starting pitcher. Just they, they ran out of starting pitching and some of it, you can put up Ben Charrington. He should have addressed it a little bit more in the offseason. Maybe, maybe added one more depth piece. Some of it's just you, you can't – you go into the season and you feel good about your top eight or nine, and then JT Brubaker needs Tommy John. Mike Burroughs needs Tommy John. Vince Velasquez's elbow explodes. Um, and then you just throw in Ronzi Contreras completely implodes and Quinn Priester stinks and Luis Ortiz regresses. And I don't care who you are in baseball, if six of the top nine, ten guys in your organization in terms of starting pitching either get injured – are not good or just take a. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done. Massive step backward. You're not going to overcome that. And that's what happened. They just, they ran out of starting pitching. It trickled down to the bullpen for most of the year. The bullpen was pretty good, but the bullpen took some lumps over the summer there in May, especially May and June. Um, that stretch from like the first of May to about the all-star break when they were a really bad club. They were what? I think like 20 games under 500 during that stretch or something. Um, maybe not quite that bad, but they were bad. Um, it's, it began with the starting pitching. The starting pitching was not good. Um, it trickled down to the bullpen being overused. It trickled down to relievers struggling. Um, yeah, it's just that that's why just this offseason to me, your top priority needs to be starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching. Because outside of Mitch Keller and Johan Oviedo, neither of which are a true number one guy to begin with, you, you don't have – you've got nothing but question marks in that rotation. I don't expect them to add three guys. Um I think, you know, we see that fifth spot go to Bailey Falter, Rones, and Contreras, whoever it may be. I mean, Contreras is out of options, so they're going to have to figure something out with him. But this start, this offseason, you've got to add two legitimate starting pitchers, in my opinion, because you cannot have a repeat of last year where you just run out of starting pitching and it causes your, your entire season to go off the rails, essentially. Yeah, I mean, Marty hit it on the nail there. Uh, pitching, for sure, especially starting pitching, is the reason why this team – fell apart um to, care, to piggy off, piggyback off that i think jared jones does have an opportunity if he if he dominates in spring training i think he might have a legitimate shot to make it out of spring training because of the the desperate need they need in this rotation depending on who they might or might not pick up uh but that's one guy that i could see some because of how long he or how much he pitched in triple a i think as long as he's healthy and if he pitches really well in spring training i think they might give him an opportunity so that's one guy that you could think about adding um to the rotation maybe but like i said marty hit it on the nail uh but if i if i could say one other thing maybe just the how how the how much the rookies struggled when they got called up i think that definitely hurt this team they needed at least one or two rookies, not counting uh, Carmen Majinski. He played, he pitched phenomenally almost all year. Uh, but other than him, you know, Henry Davis struggled. Nick Gonzalez struggled. Um, you know, Indy Rodriguez for the most part struggled. Leover Pagero showed some spurts, but he struggled. You know, Alika Williams struggled. Uh, you know, uh, Jared Triolo, though, that's one guy that I can say just – Came out of nowhere. If you didn't know much about the farm system for the Pirates, um, he's a guy that nobody really heard of. And he came out and he, I mean, he finished really, really strong. And he, you know, I feel like that's a guy that you probably want to give a chance to at second base, in my opinion. I don't think he has the power or, you know, the, I don't think you want to waste a spot with him at first base. Shortstop or Second base is where he probably needs to be, especially if they're not confident in O'Neill Cruz playing shortstop next year, which I doubt they – as long as he's healthy, I think he plays shortstop. But I would love to see Jared Triolo get, to get a shot at second base. That's That that would be what I would like to see. Uh, but like I said, that's just the most part of – the most part of, of why they struggled was pitching and then obviously the rookie struggling. So that's, that's a combination of both of why they, they really had a bad – Summer, mm. you know, the rookie struggling is a great point because people were so excited for these young guys to come up, and rightfully so. And, like you said, other than Triolo, 
and with a strong September, like none of them really. Now, Henry Davis, I put in a little bit of a different category because he was doing really well, got that hand injury, stung for about two weeks, went on the injured list, came back and hit well after returning in September. So I, I, I'm confident in saying that hand injury really held him back. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a concern for me moving forward. Like you said, you routed off a lot of guys who you want to be part of your future. And other than Triolo, none of them really inspired confidence in you this year. I agree completely with Triolo and second base, by the way. If you don't add a second baseman this offseason, which in my opinion you should not, just if you look at what your needs are, starting pitching and first base are much bigger needs. Um, I think you need another proven, like, high leverage arm in the bullpen as well. Um, I, I'm fine with Triolo as your second baseman to start the year next year. See what he can do. See if he can build upon that September. He's a guy I've always liked in the minors. You, you want to see the power be there more like it was in September, but even if it's not, he's going to get on base a ton. He's going to play good defense. Um, but yeah, the fact that neither other than him and Carmen Majinski, none of these young guys really gave you anything to build, build confidence in moving forward is definitely a concern because – I mean, whenever you look at the young guys who came up, the fact that Joshua Palacios may have been the most impressive hitter other than Triolo is, and this is not a knock on Palacios because I, I I would love to see the guy find a role in this team as a fourth outfielder for a lot of reasons. Um, that, that's a concern when he was he, he was your, your most impressive young guy, your most impressive rookie. That's a concern for a lot of reasons. And like I said, it's not a knock on Palacios at all because I think he brings a lot of energy. I think he brings a lot of good things to a club as a fourth outfielder. But, uh, yeah, if this team is going to make a step in 2024, you need those young guys, in my opinion, Henry, Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez specifically, to take big steps forward at the plate. Because if because if they don't, even if they pitch well, it's not going to matter. You're, you're, you're not going to be in the postseason because you're not going to hit enough. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, and, and it was – Unfortunate because I think that's the one thing, uh, you know, is hope that you're like, well, you got minor leaguers on the way. These are guys that we've been waiting on. We're excited for that. Uh, you know, we, we've been asking for it too. And then they get there and, um, you know, some good and, and, and definitely some, uh, you know, a lot of bad that you circle there as well. Uh, real quick, just to highlight one guy on it while we're, while we're on the subject, Henry Rodriguez season as a whole for, you know, what we saw of him in the major leagues, uh, you know, how would you guys rate that? Um, you know, as a whole, and I guess what, what's your confidence level now after seeing, um, you know, what was a, a sample size of Andy Rodriguez as a big leaguer? Yeah, I think, um, you know, overall, I'll give him probably like a C plus. Uh, defensively, he was pretty good. Uh, you know, his pop time was phenomenal, which is really promising to see. Um, he threw, he threw out a lot of, um, a lot of base dealers, which was fun to see. We, you know, we weren't used to seeing that with Jason delay or hedges. Um, so seeing that we could actually throw somebody out during the season was fun, uh, and encouraging. I mean, at, at the plate, he's really, really struggled, but, um, you know, most rookies will and do, but, you know, in his sep September, um, I would say the last, you know, five or six games, he showed he showed something which was promising to see. I would have liked to see him play the last game of the year, but maybe that was just, you know, letting J Jason Delay play the last game. I don't know, but he was on fire towards the end of the year, which was, you know, 
hopefully that can build some confidence in the going into 2024. But no doubt in my mind, he is he earned his um, earned his spot in this 40 man for next year and probably as the starter as a catcher. Um, he showed enough for me to believe in him to that he will uh, you know develop and progress into a good catcher for uh, for this team. Yeah, you, I know. I feel like regardless of what he did or didn't show, he's just starting catcher next year because you got you you've got to see what you have in him. You, you throw six hundred plate appearances out of him and see what happens. I'm with you defensively. I thought he exceeded my expectations. Um, the pop time was great. He controlled the opposing running game. He seems to have that sixth sense for when to use that mound visit, when to step out of the box and kind of give your, give your pitcher the just, Hey, Hey, calm down. It's okay. Like he, he has that. And that's, that's something not everybody has at the catcher position. Um, he struggled some blocking in the dirt, but coming through the minors, that was always the biggest issue with him behind the plate. So that shouldn't come as a surprise. Same time. That's a lot easier to work on than improving a pop time. That's a lot easier to work on than just forming that rapport with your pitching staff. Like you, you can work to be a better blocker. You, you, there's only so much you can do to improve your arm strength. There's only so much you can do to work on that chemistry with your pitcher. So if that's, if that's, if there's something you want your catch to work on, that's probably it. Um, offensively, we'll see. I, I mean, I know I've never been overly high on his long-term offensive ceiling. No, I think he'll be a much better hitter than what we saw this year. I mean, like you said, Cody, a lot of rookie struggle. You throw in the fact that he was only, what, a month north of turning 22 years old when he debuted in the majors. He was a young kid also when he made his major league debut, so I think that's a factor also. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that strong finish. The last week or so of the season, I had pulled it up here. So from he, he started a hitting streak on September 29th, September 29th through the end of the year. Um, he hit 292, got on a 370 clip. So it's only 30 plate appearances, but still, um, he had a good week, week and a half there to finish out the year. So hopefully he can build upon that. Um, I, I think that's going to be maybe the biggest key for the Pirates, really, next year is going to be Andy Rodriguez. Can he take that step? I mean, you need Henry Davis to take that step. But as I said, I'm confident Henry Davis will. I've always been confident in the bat of Henry Davis. Um, and this is something we talked about off air before we started. But when you talk about when the, when they talked about moving those guys around, I always said Henry Davis was the guy you would move. And to me, the biggest thing was with Andy's off long term offensive outlook to be a plus player, you've got to get that offensive catcher. Getting that at first base is not going to make him a plus player. Henry's bat is going to make him a plus player no matter where he's at. So if you can get Andy Rodriguez to be that like 720 to 750 OPS kind of guy and give you the defense you saw this year is probably a step forward as you would expect. That that's a really good catcher. That's a really good major league catcher. You'll take that in a heartbeat. So I, I'm I'm with you. I, I think there's more in the tank there. I don't know. I think one thing that hurts Andy Rodriguez is people see, saw, who was it? Was it Fangraphs, I think, that had him as like the seventh overall prospect in all of baseball, which was very aggressive in my opinion. And when people see that, they immediately think like offensive stud and rightfully so. But when you are a catcher or a shortstop, it's completely different because defense is so valuable at those positions. Um, you know, look at Key Brian Hayes before this year. 
he was consistently a three-war player without hitting a lick. You know, defense matters. And that was going to be the big thing with Endy, I think, is if he can give you the defense you had this year with the improvements you expect in year two, be a 720 to 750 OPS kind of guy, um, you're going to be very happy with what you're going to get from him. And that's a catcher who can be your everyday guy for a very long time. Yeah, if he can pull over – Put up the same numbers that Key Brian Hayes did this year, this previous year. That's all you really need. All you really yeah. want and ask for him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think if you, if you look at Key's stats over the entire season, so I mean, I think obviously with him, it's with Key Brian Hayes a little bit different because you look at what he did. I know you touched on this earlier. Over that stretch from the end of May through the end of the year, you kind of expect that to be the normal for Key Brian Hayes. But his overall numbers in the year, Brian Hayes finished with 105 OPS plus. If you can get a 105 OPS plus out of Andy Rodriguez with this defense, with what he's going to give you behind the dish, that's a four to five war player. You will take that in a heartbeat. So, yeah, I agree with you completely. No doubt. Uh, you know, and, and that's why I ask it, honestly, because it's I think there's some context needed there with Andy Rodriguez. Uh, because, you know, maybe you didn't see what uh, – what the expectation was at the plate or, or maybe what you expected based off of kind of what we saw out of that fan graphs rankings and, um, you know, some of the buzz when he was in the minors, but uh, you know, you take that defense and if we can see somewhat of an improvement in offense all day long, that is your catcher for the future highlighted some of the bad there, gentlemen, kind of what, um, you know, turned the season on its head in the wrong direction through, through May, June, <laughs> July, you know, there was a tough stretch there. Uh, but that was kind of just general, and we did the, the topest of the trolley. Um, let's do the most sour pierogi, and, and we talk about you know firing into the sun quite often on this show as well. Here, uh, let's let's go with a person in this case. What is one player that uh, you know has the highest potential of being fired into the sun? Looking back at this 2023 season, what was the the low point? The low player. I mean, I kind of touched on it for me. It's got to be Ronzi Contreras. I mean, I, coming into the year, I thought Mitch Keller, Ronzi Contreras could be the most underrated one-two punch in baseball. And Mitch Keller held up his part, that's for certain. But Ronzi Contreras, that – good Lord, that start against Oakland. When was that? Like late May, early June? I know – Yeah, yeah. like I, I know it's for the school year was over because it was – I remember having the game up on my laptop in my classroom and it was towards the end of the day and my kids are getting ready for dismissal. And I looked down and it was like six, nothing in the Oakland, like the bases loaded, nobody out. I'm like, good Christ, what is happening? Like, man, he's just, there's, there's a lot of potential there. Like it's, it's there. He has the tools. I don't know. I know the fastball velocity was down some, but like, I, I still think it's a lot of mental with Rowanzi. I really do. And, I, I could be wrong. I'd have to double check, but I'm like 99% certain he's going to be out of minor league options going into next year. You've got to get something figured out there because you don't you don't want to give up on that arm. You really don't. But I, I don't know. Do you start him in the bullpen? I, I have no idea. But to me, he was without much debate the most disappointing player this year was Ronzi Contreras. I thought by the end of the year you'd be looking at a guy who was going to give you close to 200 innings. Have an ERA well below four, rack up a ton of strikeouts, and be well on his way to emerging as one of the best young starting pitchers, not just in the division, but maybe in the entire National League. And he just he he couldn't be 
much further from it. Even when he went down to the minors, even, I mean, he went to the minors, he went to the complex league, didn't pitch for like a month. And then even when he went to triple a, he, he finished the year strong at triple a over his last start or two, but he had a four, nine, six year triple a, like it's, they, they got to get something figured out there. Cause it's, one of the things that hurts you when you're a team like the Pirates, when you're a small market team like this, and we saw this to an extent with Tyler Glass now, when he bombed out here, when it when a prospect, especially a pitching prospect of that caliber that you have that much invested in, doesn't pan out, that that's a lot to overcome. That that's you you can't afford misses that big, and the, boy, that's going to be that could be a really big miss for them. Because I mean, you, you know, you look back at the season. If Ronzi Contreras pitches the way you expected him to pitch, that's another three to four wins probably. You know, it's and even though that doesn't get you to the postseason, if you could go into next year and say, man, we can build around Keller and Oviedo and Contreras in this rotation, you're you're feeling pretty good. And right now you you don't feel even remotely good about Ross. Yeah, totally agree with Marty there. I mean, he kind of stole my guy um, that I was gonna choose. I mean, when you have a guy that was throwing 98 with ease last year, then can barely throw 91 this year. I mean, something's wrong. Something is wrong. And then he couldn't, re- um, you know, there was just so many things that went wrong with Rowanzi that I, I don't have any trust and faith that he's going to be the player, the pitcher that we want him to be. Um, but my second choice, and this is going to be a kind of a unpopular opinion, but, you know, it, it depends on what side you're on, but G1 Bay. I, I, I'm over him. I, I don't want him on this team next year. I, you know, as a minor league player, he had a 375 on base percentage. You like, he was a guy that you would expect to get on base no matter what and get his, uh, you know, his fair share amount of steals and be, that's the type of game he was, or he was in the minor leagues. You know, this year, I know it was, you know, his first full year in the in the major leagues, but he had a 296 on base percentage. He only had 24 steals on the season, and he made so many stupid mistakes, um, you know, on the field that caused this this team get games. I mean, the one that comes into mind was the New York Yankees game when they had an easy double play to, to end the game, and he threw it into the stands or wherever he threw it. I can't even remember, but he, he just had so many of those those plays and yes he 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 had a decent amount of highlight reels as well but his IQ on the baseball field is so bizarre that I'm just I'm over it and I'd ri- I'd rather move on from him. Yeah one one thing I will add with G1 Bay and I think this is kind of epitomizes him he only had 33 hits this season that left the infield. There's just there's no pop in that bat. He can't drive the ball at all. And that's just not going to work in the majors. I mean, I know it's his first full year, but 350 plate appearances isn't the smallest sample size in the world. And being a slap hitter can work to an extent. But when you're only going to get 33 base hits that leave the infield all year, that's that's not going to work. And, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Bay, completely with you on Bay. Yeah, he just lacked what his skill set needed needs to be a major league player. Um, yeah. He needs he needs to be able to get on base. He needs to be able to walk. He needs to be able to steal. And he needs to be a smarter player out there. And he lacked almost everything that he needed to be to be a productive player for this team. Like I said, he showed 
he showed some spurts of, you know, being a, a special type of player because he's athletic. He was one of the most athletic players on the team. Um, but he's just he just does not execute what he needs to to do to become a, a major league player, in my opinion, because like Marty said, he has no power. Um, you know, 33 hits <laughs> that, that did not leave the infield. That's or that left the infield. That's insane. I didn't even know that stat. So that's but that's believable because, um, you know, his what's his barrel rate? Do you know, Marty? Um, give me one second. I'll tell you. Well, I had his I had his uh, baseball savant page. I knew I knew that the base hit thing was bad, and I couldn't remember the number off the top of my head. And I want to double check. Um, his barrel rate was a, was a fantastic two percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is not going to do it. So for, uh, for his career, if you if you factor in his like fifty or whatever plate appearances was was last year, his barrel rate for his career is one point eight percent. For for reference, the major league average is seven percent. So he he's well below that. So what to my conclusion of this, get him off the team, sign Jung Hoo Lee, and there's your center fielder. That's that's my solution. Well, you know, gentlemen, uh one of those thirty three was uh was a walk off home run. Over the Houston Astros, no, it was uh, it was tough. Um, and you know, a, a crafty player at times, and, and a, obviously a speedy and very athletic guy. But um, yeah, I hear it. I think it's fair. Um, I'm going to go Andy Haynes. I know he's not a player, but he wears a uniform. Um, you know, or if you want to pick one of the other coaches too, there, I think that's uh, that's the root of a lot of the problems this year. Um, but you know, let's go two more gentlemen. Let's uh, let's do the biggest surprise of the year, and then maybe let's wrap it up with. Uh, with the best moment of the year or the coolest moment or, or something like that. But, um, you know, what was the biggest surprise to you guys for this season? Uh, something that just, you know, what was different than your expectation, maybe for the good, for the bad. Um, what was the, the thing that stuck out to you gentlemen in that department? Cody, you want to get us going there? Yeah. I mean, obviously we touched on it before, but key Brian Hayes, um, you know, I'll, I'll just reiterate what I was said earlier. He broke out this year and it was kind of a surprise because of, his early struggles to begin the season. I mean, he, we were, look, there was people that wanted Jared Triolo to start over him at, at, at the end of June. That's, that's how bad he was playing. So, you know, him j- completely turn, you know, uh, turning a one or one one eighty or whatever on the season um, was a, was a pleasant surprise. And I'm very happy uh, to see that he is back to, you know, uh, being the player that he should be. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he can do for 2024, but that's definitely the player I'm very excited for and uh, happy, um, the, you know, how his season played out. Drew Maggi for you, right, Marty? <laughs> no, the, the, the Hayes pick's a good one. Um, I like that a lot. I mean, obviously with what he did, like you said earlier, that just really improves the overall outlook on this organization, on this team moving forward. Um, I'm going to go a little off the grid here. I'm going to go with a guy who, to be completely honest with you, before the Pirates claimed him off waivers, I had never heard of. Um, give me Ryan Baraki. Like, the, the dude came out of absolutely nowhere. Pitched extremely well out of the bullpen. Like, he didn't strike a lot of guys out, but he didn't give up part of contact. He didn't walk anybody. He didn't give up home runs. That's a recipe for success. And now you you look ahead the next year, and Baraki's your top lefty out of the bullpen. Um, and, you know, and Helper Domo would be right there as well. 
another guy who just came out of nowhere, lefty out of the bullpen. I mean, obviously, Perdomo a little bit different finish here in the injured list. You don't know um, where he's going to be at health-wise to start next season. But, yeah, tip of the cap to Barucki, man. The guy had always struggled in the majors, had been given plenty of opportunity in the past, picked up off the waiver wire by the Pirates just to fill spots in the organization, got an opportunity in the majors because of all his pitching injuries we talked about earlier with the bullpen struggling. And to his credit, he took the bull by the horns and ran with it. Um, to Derek Shelton's credit, he was not afraid to throw Barucki in high leverage situations, which I, I love. Um, I've always loved – like. Let me phrase that. I've always hated the idea of when a guy is young or fresh in the majors or whatever it may be, you can't let them pitch in high leverage spots. No, throw them out there. Show them you have confidence in them. See what they can do. See what you have in the guy. And that's what Derek Sheldon did with Ryan Barucki this year. And for shortcomings, that's one thing I've always loved about him. He's not afraid to take a young bullpen arm. Give them the ball in the sixth, seventh inning, eighth inning of a one-run game and say, here you go, show me what you got. Um, and, yeah, Baraki just sees that opportunity and ran with a great, great job by him this year. And, you know, had you told me even in, like, July that Ryan Baraki was going to be a lock to be on this opening day roster in 2024, I would have told you you were on crack. But here we are with going into the offseason with Baraki. I mean, what? Bednar – Majinski, Holderman, and probably Baraki, your four most reliable relievers. Let's just get on him for seizing that opportunity and get on Derek Shelton for not being afraid to give him that opportunity. Yeah, it was kind of crazy towards the end of the year when I saw Baraki coming out of the bullpen. I'm like, okay, that's he's he's gonna he's gonna get the final out. Like right. It was crazy. You go from like he would come in games on like June and July, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. And by the end of the year, like all right, he'll he'll strain that runner, he'll get this lefty out. Like you just you you have that confidence in him, which is just wild. Yeah, and this was the most amount of games he's pitched. Um, not 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 the most amount of innings, but the most amount of games he's pitched in his MLB career was this year. And you know, he showed something in back in 2018 with Toronto. Um, you know, I think he was a starter back then. I th- I think, and he had a, a sub four ERA. So it's not like he it's not like he just came out of nowhere. You know, he, he has shown some capabilities of pitching at the major league level. But then, you know, after the 2018 year, he was atrocious for like five years. So that's basically what Marty was saying. And then out of nowhere, he, he found it again as a, as a you know, as a relief pitcher. And uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy he's on the on the team, at least for now. <laughs> found it as a Pittsburgh just, Pirate. N- not to cut you off, Trey, bro. Just, no. just imagine that, Cody. I'm happy that Ryan Barucki is on the team. Did you ever think that would be a statement you would make? No, not at all. Because if you look at some of my tweets back in June about Ryan Barucki, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, they were not good. Now, it, there was at one point I remember saying, if this is the last pitch Ryan Barucki ever threw for the Pirates, that would be great or something along those lines. And he and just, he, and he had every right. we had every right to say that because that's how bad he was pitching. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he turned into Randy Johnson. I don't get it. But and, and the thing is, too, with him, like not for us to go off on this huge Ryan Barucki tangent or anything, oh, but let's like do it. let's say I, Ryan I, Barucki. I mean, you you see guys all the time where this happens, and it's like okay, flash and pants, but like you look at a lot of his peripherals, like there was nothing he did that wasn't sustainable. His opposing barrel rate was below league average. 
His opponent, his opposing exit velocity was well below league average. Hard hit rate was almost 10 percentage points below league average. He doesn't walk guys. He doesn't give up home runs. Like, there's something to but yet, but that he is. But yet in September, he didn't give up a run. <laughs> yeah. Like, he just you, – you see guys all the time who, oh, they had 35 real good innings in the majors last year, but their batting average and balls in play was 180 and – they were getting liners at people and they were dancing around walks. That wasn't him. So like, I think there's, there's reason to believe that. I mean, is he going to post the two thirty ERA again or whatever it was? Probably not, but can he be a reliable part of this bullpen next year for 55, 60 innings? I, I don't see why not. If he can pull up a, I don't know, a sub four ERA on the season next year, you know, pitch, you know, 3.5 ERA and do what he's been doing. We'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as you're like fourth or fifth reliever out of the bullpen, just hey, consistently get lefties out and be decent against righties, and he'll be fine. Yeah, it uh, it was a 180, um, 100% for for Ryan Barucki there. Um, I'm gonna go Carmen Majinski here. I don't know if that's a crazy pick. I don't even know if it's a surprise, but uh, you know the confidence that you feel with Carmen Majinski heading in, um, you know the, the potential for him to kind of push for. Some some high leverage spots into 2024 is exciting. Um, love what love what I saw there. It's going to be my surprise. And I know I said you know maybe we wrap it up with uh, the greatest moment of the season, and we can still do that if you want. I know we've kind of talked about it in a roundabout way a few different times tonight, but let's let's grade this season, gentlemen. Let's give it a, a grade as a whole. Um, you know, with, with what you expected heading into the year, looking at it now. What would you give the 2023 Pittsburgh Pirates season if you had to give it a grade? Marty, you're a teacher. Why don't you get us started here? Man, that's tough. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a lot easier to do now that we've had, what, a week and a half or so since season's end. You kind of take a step back and avoid – this is definitely a season you can't just look at it in a vacuum, right? Because – on the surface, jumping from 62 wins to 76 wins looks great. But I'm always of the belief you can't just completely ignore the fact they started 20 and 8. I get that was never sustainable, but you were 20 and 8 in a bad division. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I still think there's things the front office could have done early in the year to try and help sustain this a little bit better. Um, I'm still overall disappointed in what we saw from the young hitters at the plate. That said, they did improve their win total by 14 games, which is impressive. I would probably, oh, geez, I, I, maybe this is me being a little harsh. I probably would go like a C plus. Um, I will say, had they not started 20 and eight, had they been like a 500 club in April, I probably would go B, but to start 20 and eight and still finish 10 games under 500. So from May 1st, well, really it was April 30th because they played the nationals on the last day of April and that game was Josiah Gray just threw a gem against them. From that day on, you were 22 games under 500. So you were 22 games under 500 over five months. That's the majority of your season. It, it just, you, you can't, after a 28 start, you just can't let that happen. So I, I would go C plus, but um, yeah, I, I can understand why people would potentially go like a B or a B minus because over like again, if you look at it in a vacuum, it was a lot of improvement from the previous season based solely on that win total. But if you take a step back, 
and look at how they started. Look at the fact a lot of the young hitters didn't really progress. Look at the current state of the starting rotation. And there's still a lot of question marks there. So, yeah, give, give me a C plus. It's fair. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say uh, – I was going to – could go with a C plus, but I don't want to be the same as Marty. So I'm I'm going to be more optimistic and go with a B minus. And the reason why is because, like he said, 14 games better than the year previously. Uh, um, there was fun moments this year. Like you 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 would go you would you would turn on the game and you would actually be still entertained in September. You know, you got Josh Palacios hitting walk off home runs. You got Carlos Santana dancing around the, 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 you know, the diamond after walking it off against the Brewers. Like there were so many fun moments this season that I actually enjoyed compared to the past couple years that I would give it a, you know, I'm going to give it a B minus. Um, I just think there's a lot of positives you can come out with this season. Um, you know, post all-star break, they finished 35 and 37. So basically you know, two games under 500 after Austin Hedges is off the team, which is pretty nice to see. Um, the the biggest thing that I you know that I that I can say is they need to sign free agent pitching. Um, they they definitely do, and if, if they don't, then this 14 game improvement means nothing in my opinion. They have to. I mean, you can't throw out Andre Jackson and Thomas Hatch and Bailey Falter for three innings and then put in Luis Ortiz for another three inning. You, you can't be doing that. So add some, add some uh, free agent pitching and get a first baseman. And I will, and I will feel okay with saying this season was a B minus because you have to, you have to progress off this season. If you don't, then what was it for? You know, like any, any set you, any GM can win 70 some games. Okay. How do you how do you progress from it and move forward and get better? Uh, because it's not hard to go from sixty two games to sixty two wins to seventy six games if you just try a little bit. Now it's how do you get from seventy six wins to eighty six wins? You know, and if you can do that, then I might st- you know then a lot of people might start trusting Ben Sherrington. We'll see what he can do. Also, I want to give it a B minus because I did say in March. That I, I did say some angry angry fans are going to not want to hear this, but the Pittsburgh Pirates will win seventy five plus games this season, and I told them they could bookmark this or bookmark this seat. And uh, hey, no, I, there was somebody that wanted to bet me ten thousand dollars that they weren't going to win seventy five games. So, you know, there was a lot of guys that were not happy that I got that right. So I'm pretty proud of that. So now that's why I give it a B minus. Uh, you know, they're gonna. Whisper your successes and, and shout your failures there, Cody. So please let it all out here. Um, you know, and I think you look back to that DC series. You said it, Marty. There was a gym that was thrown by Josiah Gray on that Sunday. But I'd like to point to that rain delay as the ultimate uh, crux of the, the 2023 Pirates. And without that rain delay, who knows? But that start, I do think, um, you know, weighs into, into a grade there because it, it was a, such a hot start. It was, you know, so much hope for uh, for a ball club that, you know, we didn't expect to finish over 500 this season. They did not do that. Um, 76 wins on the year, improvement by 14 games from 2022. And uh, you said it there, Cody. I mean, memories from this season for the first time in a few years. And there's, you know, there's things you look back at from 2020, 2021, 2022 that, uh 
that you remember, but um, you know, for the first time in a long time, you have memories in August and September about the Pirates from 2023. So, um, you know, just uh, another step in the process of this this long rebuild. And um, you know, what what we hope to look back on is somewhat of a pivotal year for this franchise. As prospects came up, you know, as moves were made in the offseason leading up to it to to turn the, the the page a little bit and get this team in the win column here. Uh, Cody, did you have a favorite Twitter moment from this 2023 season? I, I know you tweeted about all the, the moments here, there, whatever, but did you have a favorite one? Yeah, of course. Um, that Natty Sports from Cincinnati uh, saying that, uh, well, there was two things that he tweeted out, that uh, Ellie De La Cruz was a one-of-one one and he shouldn't be compared to O'Neill Cruz and then immediately goes on a complete downfall um, on the season. And two, thinking that they had uh, their playoff playoff uh, hopes alive after beat was after they were beating us 9-0 and we came back to win. That was just the greatest moment on Twitter when he, he completely melted down. So those are my uh, my two favorite moments. Marty had a lot of interactions on our Rum Bunter Twitter. And no tweet of the week. This week, of course, uh, we're replacing it with a moment. What was your favorite moment on Twitter? X, I don't know. X, excuse That's me. tough. I mean, it, in terms of pirate Twitter greatness, like we've had some great stuff over the years. Like the, the 2021 war of pirates Twitter v Marcus Stroman will go down in history, obviously. Um, to, to go back a little bit further, the, the STFD movement with Burnett in 2012, like there's been some great stuff. Um, my, my personal favorite, and I would have to dig this up to quote this verbatim. But in I, I if if you get upset by me saying this, I'm sorry. You probably have your own issues. But anytime Connor Joe would get a big hit, if you go on the gift board on Twitter and just type in Joe, the first thing that comes up is Barack Obama simply saying Joe gets stuff done. It's not meant to be political in any fashion. I'm just doing it because Joe got stuff done. This one dude would tweet at me all the time about Ukraine, about vaccines, about the economy. And I'm like, dude, stop. I don't care. I'm talking about baseball. <laughs> and he would come back, my God, you're nothing but a sheep of the mainstream media. And I want to mute the guy because I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> but, like, I'm sorry, but if you're watching a baseball game and the team that's supposed to be your favorite team gets a big hit that, like, puts them in the lead or ties the game, and your biggest issue is spouting off about your political taste because someone tweeted a gif of Barack Obama. You've got bigger problems, but no, th- those were th- those were always fun. But yeah, I mean, Pirates Twitter is a wonderful place, and like I, I, I don't know. Short of the Pirates winning the World Series, I don't know if anything will ever top Pirates Twitter v Marcus Stroman in twenty twenty one. But. Um, yeah, God bless Pirates Twitter, man. It's 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 something else, let me tell you. Yeah, and apparently I'm going to be voted again as the worst Pirates Twitter account. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm hey, going to – It makes you feel better. I was pretty disappointed that after being – I think two years ago we were second. Last year we fell away to like sixth. So, I guess I'm I'm slipping on my game. I'm not – You're falling out. But, uh, one thing I, I will say, too, about Pirates Twitter, I love that according to everyone, we're either Kool-Aid drinking like – front office shills or we're overly negative like you can't be both like which is make up your mind like you, you literally cannot be both of those things it's so drastic one way it's so drastic 
Yeah, and I find it hilarious that every single time I tweet at Marty on Rum Bunter, they oh, think, everybody thinks it's you talking to yourself. <laughs> I know, I love it. <laughs> like, Why are you tweeting at yourself? I'm like, I don't run this account. Like, I love how no matter how many times I will tweet at it and tag my own personal Twitter in it, and like, like the one time I even sent a guy an article with my name to prove like my Twitter account, and he still, I that is a classic. That anytime you and I get into a discussion on Twitter when I'm on the Rum Bunter account, people are convinced it's you talking to yourself. That's that is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's actually probably my best that's that's the best moment right there for me like i hope that just continues into next year i don't even care like, oh yeah i guarantee it will <laughs> well that's the thing i mean you know it's it's a unique place pirates twitter uh pirates social media i mean you know it's a community and we go through these ups and downs together via social media uh, but just in general, guys, if you're at the ballpark, if you're in the city, no, no matter the case, um, you know, Pittsburgh sports in general, we, we talked about it last episode a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, it is a passionate city when it comes to their sports teams. Of course, it is a passionate city when it comes to the Pirates. And, um, you know, that's why we're, we're talking so much about a, a 76 win baseball team with a lot of hope, because, you know, there is a, a lot of passion um, behind this rebuild. And, and what we hope is uh, future success here as we look ahead into 2024. We're going to be back to uh, to preview this offseason, talk about everything that we hope to see, you know, what we expect to go down and, um, you know, all the, the the little intricacies of what goes on in the offseason as we look to 2024. But before we wrap it up, gentlemen, anything else you want to talk about with 2023, with the Pirates, with, uh, you know, stuff on, off the field, the minor leagues, anything else we want to get to here as we wrap up the 2023 season? Well, one thing I'll sorry, could real quick let me add this is kind of not necessarily with the team, but just with Rum Butter in general. Um, with the ups and downs of this season, this was in terms of page views, the most successful season in the history of Rum Butter. Yin's guys are awesome. We couldn't do this without you. Um, October is currently on pace to be the greatest month in site history in terms of page views. So um, yeah, you guys are awesome. I don't know why everybody loves what we do so much. Um, but no, we're thankful without our readers, without our great team, you know, Cody included, Noah Wright, just everybody there. We wouldn't be able to do what we do. And, uh, yeah, you know, you guys are great. Um, keep following along keep reading. We appreciate it. We love it. We have so much fun. Um, yeah, keep it up. It's just, it's, you know, Nick and I have been here for seven years and well, this is our eighth season. Cause in, we, we've never, we've never been here for a winning season or a playoff season. And we look at, a season like this year where the team was just kind of on the brink of it and how best everybody was. And like, we can't wait to finally get to enjoy a playoff run with everybody one of these days. But yeah, you guys are the best. I, I just am, am blown away by the success of our site and it just continues to grow, continues to be more successful. And we thank every last one of you for that. Yeah. I'm defe- uh, to piggyback off that. Yeah. I'm, when Marty and Nick asked me to join Rump Hunter is probably the, best um best thing in my life i've been so blessed and, and i'm so happy to be on this on this site and with these guys it's been a it's been a blast i know i haven't been writing a lot of articles as of late because of my my personal life and whatnot but just being a part of this group is, is so much fun and uh, i can't wait for next year it'll be it will be even better um and this off season is going to be a blast i think i think there's going to be a lot of um a lot more a lot more exciting free agents, I think, is going to be on this team. I, we at least hope so. It will be a fun off season, I think, and it will be a blast writing writing for these guys and uh, 
and giving you guys all the information you need throughout the offseason. Yeah, no- one thing I, I will add to that, Cody, with the, uh, the, 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 the personal life news or however you want to put it that I know you can't share it on a public platform yet, but as someone who does know what it is, I will say it is freaking awesome and congratulations. And uh, I wish you a lot of success with it. I appreciate that. Thank you, Marty. I, I iterate the exact same there, Cody. That is a unbelievable opportunity and you're going to make the most of it. I'm sure. Congratulations, man. And, um, you know, just looking forward to, to see in, um, you know, the, the future of your career here in the future of what we're going to be as uh, you know, as a team at Ron Buncher as well here, because you guys both said it. I mean, this, um, you know, this crew is incredible. And uh, the people that support it, the people that read, that listen, that uh, that join us on, on Twitter, you know, whatever the case may be, it is uh, it is a community. And, um, you know, it's an unbelievable thing to be a part of here. Uh, as we begin to wrap it up, guys, go check us out. If you're not a part of our community on Twitter, go follow us at Rumbunter there as well. Uh, Cody, I don't want to mess up the handle. Just Cody Duncan on Twitter. Cody Duncan, PGH. That's right. We got the PGH in there. He's got the City Connect in the Twitter handle. Uh, go follow him there as well, guys. Go check us out at rumbunter.com. Um, but an unbelievable year. I mean, gentlemen, it is October 2023. Uh, you know, we sat there in 2020 and, and talked about this might be a long, long road to hoe here. This might be uh, quite the rebuild ahead. Uh, just wait until 2023, 24, 25. Well, we're here. So one way or the other, we're going to find out the road's going to meet, or excuse me, the rubber is going to meet the road. And, uh, you know, we don't have to do too much waiting any longer. We will look ahead to 2024. But for Marty Leap and Cody Duncan, my name is Trey Entity. Thank you all so much for joining us, not only tonight on uh, this review recap episode of the 2023 season, but throughout the entire year. Uh, and as Marty and Cody said, thank you so much for being a part of it on rumbunder.com as well. Keeping up with our work and, um, you know, making all of this possible. But until next time, we are going to be back uh, to, re- to to look ahead to that 2023-24 uh, offseason and uh, get you set for next year. But until then, have a great rest of the week, everybody. And let's go Bucks for the final time of this 2023 season. Ta-ta-la. I don't know what call I'm going to run out of the top of it, but... Uh, We'll probably, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe that first car- call we started with, Marty, the uh, the Greensboro home run deal. That might not. Maybe a compilation of a, a few. Yeah, I'm saying, pull a couple of here, like that one, like the Greg Brown call on, on the Santana walk-off. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Johan Oviedo. Johan Oviedo. There's a few for sure I'll throw in there. I For some reason, I thought you guys, uh, I, you know, I know Clemente Wall and everything else, but I thought 15 was the first year. That's crazy. Yeah, we started with Rum Butter. Nick was like January or February of 16, and I was March. I was a month behind him. Marty. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.